You've heard that it was said, love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward would you get? And not even the tax collectors doing that. And if you're greet only to your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Amen. Amen and welcome. Been a great morning already. So glad to be here with you. My name is Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, you know, it's just, it's amazing. You know, the, the, the coffee bar opens back up and we get an extra hour of sleep and everybody's feeling real good today. So we, we survived the great Austin water boil ban of 2018. Man, the struggle was real. So uh, it, was, it was real. It, it really was. Um, and uh, of course, today's daylight savings, which for some of us is nice, but for those of us with small kids, it's like a cruel joke. Somebody plays on you, right? Because your kids, instead of waking up at 5.30, it's just 4.30, so they don't know any difference. There's no snooze button on that toddler, um, if only. One more thing before we get going. As you heard, next week we'll be having in Pastor Jim LaFoon, who's sort of a, a friend. It was a friend, but not, not really a guest here. He comes uh, usually on an annual basis, and uh, Jim is going to be here uh, ministering to us. Jim is a key leader in the Every Nation world. He travels the globe, ministering to churches, encouraging leaders internationally. And uh, we'll be having a special Saturday night service from 6 to 8 p.m. this coming Saturday, where you'll see Jim ministering prophetically. If you've never been to a service like this, let me encourage you. You'll see the gifts of the Holy Spirit really in operation. It's so encouraging. And then, of course, Jim will be here for all three services on Sunday, teaching uh, and preaching. So here we go. As you can see, we're in the middle, or actually beginning today, a brand new series called The People of Mosaic. The People of Mosaic. We're taking a look for the month of November at the collective impact that we can all make when we give, when we serve, and when we love. And really, if there were uh, one message uh, that I'm so excited about, it's this one today. If there's one thing I, I would hope the whole city of Austin would be able to hear today. And if there's one reason I'm glad you're here today to hear this, it's this. It's because I believe what you're about to hear today and what I hope we're going to do today together is, I believe, is so close to the heart of God. It's so close to the heart of God. And so today we'll be kicking off the series, taking a look at the impact we can make together when we give. We'll be looking at three concepts here from the passage to help us do that. We'll be taking a look at, first, there's a new idea that's here that leads us to a new kind of story that leads us to a new kind of action. New idea, new story, new kind of action. Here we go. Number one, let's take a look at this new idea. What's this new idea? Well, you can see it. It's right here in the passage. It's taken from something called the Sermon on the Mount. And here Jesus is teaching and he's beginning to address a piece and a part of the Jewish law, the Old Testament law, that had over time become misunderstood and therefore mispracticed and misapplied. And you can see him addressing this thought they had come to believe right here in verse 44. And he says this, he says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, why is he he's saying this? He's saying this because God's people, God's people with God's law uh, and God's commandments in God's word had begun to use their understanding of God's word and God's law and God's commandments to only love the people that were close to them. 
And because they thought, you know, I do love my neighbor, the one who's like me, therefore I can not love. I can actually hate the one who's not like me, maybe even who lives far away from me. And so in this respect, the Jewish people in Jesus' day had become just like every other group around them. Because that principle, loving the one like you, hating the one not like you, that's the principle by which every group in the world operates, isn't it? Yeah, it is. We love those like us. We hate those who aren't. And let's just acknowledge, though, that sometimes that kind of hate, that, that's understandable, isn't it, at points? Because in that day, who did the Jewish people hate? Well, they hated the Greeks and the Romans who had come in and conquered them. But the Greeks and the Romans, they were no different either because they hated also those who were different than they were. In this case, it was the Jewish people with their funny religion, with no visible God or gods to worship. And of course, it was no surprise that the Greeks and the Romans and the surrounding nations all hated each other because they were just following the example of their own gods who were mercurial, uh, temperamental, who plotted against one, uh, one another. Perhaps you've taken you know, Greek mythology and you, you see this in the, the Roman gods. They betrayed each other. They plotted against each other. They took revenge against each other. And so, of course, the people looked up and they said, if this is how our gods act, this is how we should act. But into the middle of all of this, Jesus Christ came and he claimed to be God. John chapter one says that God, the real God, not the made up false gods of the Greeks and the Romans, the real God came. Jesus came and it says he took on flesh and he dwelt among us. And so what that radical idea meant was this, that what God was really like, how God really acted, what he really thought was now on display for all the world to see. It's a big, big thing. And one of Jesus' disciples, once upon a time, a man named Philip asked him one time, he said, Jesus, Philip says, Jesus, after three years of being with Jesus, but he said, Jesus, Show us the Father. Show us God. And do you know what Jesus said back to him? He said, Philip, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, Philip, if you've heard me, you know what God sounds like. How God would act, how God thinks. And so into the world, Jesus brought this new idea right here in Matthew chapter 5. And here it is. That unlike the gods of the Greeks and the Romans and the surrounding nations, the real God, the God of the universe, here it is, the real God loves everyone. The real God loves everyone. Jesus said, if you've seen me, if you've heard me, if you've watched me, now you know what God is really like. You don't actually have to guess anymore. And Jesus is saying here, I've come to set the record straight about something because you've heard it said, you can love your neighbors, and it's okay to only love people just like you. Your skin color, come on, your political party, those who vote like you, and it's okay to hate those who aren't or don't. And by the way, as an aside, you may have heard there's this little election coming up on Tuesday. Wow, gee whiz, look at that. And I don't know who is going to win, but I do know what's going to happen. 
Many of our political leaders and many of our newscasters, maybe even the ones that you vote for or that you watch, maybe even some religious leaders are going to tell you that because someone or some group voted for someone else, that it's okay to hate them and maybe even suggest it's okay to do violence against that person or that group. Why? Because they're telling you, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, and it's okay to hate your enemy. So into that world then, into our political world today, Jesus Christ comes, and he has this to say. He goes on, verse 44, but, oh, don't you love a big but in scripture? There it is. We like it, and we cannot lie. All right, anyway, all right, here we go. <clears throat> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh. Oh. All right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> oh, gosh, all right. Actually got something to say here. All right. But I tell you, all right, how about that? We'll put the pronunciation there. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. In other words, if you want to really be, Jesus is saying, really be known as children of God, if you want to look like your spiritual parent, if you want to look like the one you claim to really know and follow, if you want to look like him, if you want to be his child, here is what it means at its core to be his child. Here it is. You love your enemies and you pray for those who come against you, who may vote against you, who even persecute you. Now, does this idea sound like our political rhetoric today? No. Does this sound like our government today? No. Does this idea sound like how the nations of the world act and operate? No, it doesn't. Why? Because this idea goes against the grain of human nature. It is not natural. It is supernatural. And it's why Jesus Christ came. Because you've heard it said, I've heard it said, we've all heard it said, love those like you, near you, who already love you. But Jesus says, I'm here to tell you that what God is like at his core, he is like someone who loves his enemies. That's what God's really like, the real God. This idea is revolutionary. It's earth shattering. And by the way, if you're a person today who is not a Christian, of course, first of all, welcome If you're a skeptic today and you're you're a person who thinks that, you know what, that there is a God who, you know, if there is a God, he just loves everyone. Or we just ought to be people who just love everybody. Let me tell you, you did not get that idea from nowhere. You didn't. You, You didn't get that idea out of the blue. That's not an idea pulled from another faith system or pulled from our, you know, super tolerant, politically correct culture today, that idea, the idea that we should love not just our neighbor, the idea that we should love everyone, and that God loves everyone, even those who don't love him, that idea came from the lips of Jesus Christ himself. 
And then Jesus goes on and he gives us an example of what it looks like for God to love those who don't love him. He says, look, look at how God, the real God, gives to his enemies. He says he causes his son, because it's his son, by the way, God's son. It's God's son. He causes his son to rise on who? The evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. This is stunning. Who does God give to? Is it only the people in the borders or boundaries of one nation? No. He gives to evil people. He gives to those who even hurt and harm others. He even provides for the unrighteous, those who reject him categorically. Now, that doesn't mean, this isn't saying that God won't judge evil one day. He's promised to. This isn't saying that, that God won't judge evil people one day. He will. This doesn't mean we don't. We shouldn't work for justice against evil. We should work for that. We work for justice against evil because it's never loving to allow evil and injustice to continue. But nor does this mean you have to be best friends with someone trying to harm you. Come on. This is not some weird boundaryless commandment to be codependent to play the martyr, right? This just means what it says, that if we want to follow God and we want the world to say, hey, hey, do you know those people who, who, who gather in that building over there on 183? Those people, they, they look like children of God. If we want people to say that, that means we cannot just love the ones who love us, who vote like us, who support that amendment like us, right? It means we love those who don't. Now, why is that? Verse 46, Jesus tells you. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? We'll get to those later. And if you only greet your own people, fill in the blank with your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Now, let me give you one way to apply this. This means that this coming, I don't know, say Tuesday night or Wednesday morning, if you get up and you go online after the election and you greet only your own people, only those who voted the way you vote, if you only greet, and that word literally in the Greek means to salute. If you only salute, if you only show respect to people just like you, your own skin color, your own nationality, your member of your own church, party, faith system. If you do that, if you only show respect to people like that, do you know what you're like? Jesus says if we only respect people like us and we disrespect those who aren't like us, we're just like a pagan. We're just like someone who doesn't even know him. And we wonder sometimes why the world has a hard time with the church. And Christianity. And by the way, by the way, do you know that what you post, for those of you who are on social media, what you post, that's you. It's you, right? It's really you. It's not someone else. You don't like get to have like one life in here where you come and you hug and you're nice and you love, I love all the people, the different people. Then you go home and you post something that causes people to wonder if you really do, right? Why? Why is this so hard for us? It's hard because it's a new idea. It was new then. It sounds new now. It's really 2,000 years old. The idea that God loves everyone, even those who don't love him, and the idea that if we really want to look like children of God, 
that we must do the same was new then. Sounds, feels new now. Imagine what it would look like if we took that idea into the heart of who we are. Hmm. What might happen? I think it might lead us to number two. This new idea might lead us to new kinds of stories, new kinds of stories, because Jesus wasn't just done with this whole revolutionary idea, right? He went on to tell stories about this new idea. He told a story uh, about a people like the good Samaritan, the one who cared for a beaten and robbed Jewish man after two religious professionals walked over that man who was beaten. See, Jesus, the point is in the story, he, it's inflammatory. He intentionally chooses the hero in the story, to be a person he was sure to know his own ethnic group hated, Samaritan. This would be like speaking, right? Because you imagine, this is crazy talk, like a group of Democrats. Speaking to a group of Democrats and choosing a Republican to be the hero. Or vice versa, a group of Republicans choosing a Democrat to be a hero. Or in parts of our own country, someone choosing an undocumented immigrant to be the hero, or in many Christian circles, choosing someone who experiences same-sex attraction to be the hero, right? Jesus is pushing buttons. He chooses the person. He knows that group is the most likely to likely hate. Not because he's saying that everything the Samaritan did was okay. He, no, they, they didn't. The Samaritans didn't worship right. They didn't follow the law of God right. They had funny ideas about the Messiah. Their theology was all wrong and messed up. But Jesus had didn't come to affirm the Samaritan's theology. He came with a new idea to show you what God's love was really like. The idea that you love those who even hate you. That's what he's getting across in that story, right? This new idea kept popping up everywhere in Jesus' life and teaching. And Jesus didn't just tell stories about this new idea. He lived stories about this new idea. I mean, could you imagine? Could you imagine being Jesus' disciples? One day when a, a Roman centurion walked up and didn't just want to like have a conversation with Jesus. He's asking Jesus for a favor, a huge favor to heal his own sick servant. And that actually happened when a Roman centurion asked Jesus to heal his own servant. But who would ever help a Roman centurion? They were like the, the Nazi invaders of a day, the SS, who were paid to enslave, impoverish the Jewish people. People in Jesus' day would have said, oh, 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 Roman soldiers got a problem? Good. Serves him right. Maybe he knows now what it's like to be us. His servant's sick, even better, oh, about to die. Serves him right because we've heard it said we can love our neighbor and hate our enemy. Why would you ever want to help a Roman soldier? Why would you want to help? I mean, think about it. If you he Jesus healed his servant, wouldn't Jesus be just supporting and contributing to an unjust system? getting a little quiet in here now. All right. Wouldn't you just, wouldn't Jesus just be helping an oppressive social structure stay not just in place, but become stronger? Wouldn't it be more just to not help? Whew. Not if you're God. And you came to show the world what you were really like, that you loved those who even hated you. Not if you were God and you came to show the world that you sent rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And so that's what Jesus did. He heals the righteous and the unrighteous. He healed the servant of the very people who would one day kill him. But he wasn't done yet. 
Jesus didn't just live stories like that. He lived stories like this. He lived stories like, uh, like the one about Zacchaeus, who was even worse than a Roman. He was a Jew who helped the Romans. He was a tax collector. You see, Jesus referenced even the tax collector's lowest social status. They helped the Romans enforce their crippling tax code and got rich doing that. He was the architalonus, the arch tax collector. And when you read about Zacchaeus in Luke 19, and you see that he climbed up in a tree, you think, oh, it's because he, you know, it was because he was short. Yeah, he was short, but it was because, you know, short people, hey, they could have just gone to the front of the crowd. Short people do that from time to time, you know. But he couldn't get through. The people wouldn't let him, and they were not going to let someone like that get close to Jesus as someone like that. So Zacchaeus, ostracized on the outs, has to climb up a tree. They excluded him. But not only did Jesus speak to him, he went to his house. Why was this a big deal? Because for all his money, Zacchaeus was relationally impoverished. No one would go under his roof because to go under the roof in the house of someone who aided and abetted the enemy was something one simply did not do. It would be just like affirming his actions were good. Jesus, aren't, aren't you supporting the Roman Empire? Oh, but Jesus goes to his house and in a moment, Zacchaeus repents and he says, here and now I give my money away. Listen, for all their religious fury, all their moral rightness, the Jewish people could not make someone's like Zacchaeus change. They couldn't do it. But when a God who loves the righteous and the unrighteous, who sends rain on the evil and the good, walks into the house of someone like Zacchaeus, whoo, that God did for him what hard-hearted religious exclusion never could. Change the heart of a hardened sinner. Oh, but Jesus, oh, he didn't just tell stories about that new idea, did he? He didn't just live stories about this new idea. No, he gave his life for this new idea. On the cross, as he hung dying between two thieves, what did he say? He said, Father, forgive who? Oh, only the people like me? Only the people in my nation? Only the people in my neighborhood? No, Father, forgive them. He didn't just pray for one group or another. Who was the them? Come on. Everyone, Jews, Romans, Greeks, me, you, us, Austin, Texas, United States, Western Hemisphere, globe, solar system, who knows? Forgive them for they know not what they do. Would you forgive the evil people, Father? Would you forgive the unrighteous? Because that's who we are, Father. And that's what we do, Father. Oh, in the early Christian community, they saw this. When Jesus was resurrected, they began to live out this new idea. They began to walk out this new idea that God loves everyone, even the ones who don't love him. And as people from all over the Roman Empire began to repent of their old life, and they began to repent of their sin, as they began to put their faith in the risen Jesus, the church began to be something the world had never seen. The most multi-ethnic and socially diverse community the planet had ever seen. Because the Jews, oh the Jews, they didn't mix the races. They didn't. Christians did. Greeks and the Romans, they didn't mix the classes, rich and poor. Christians did. The early church lived out this idea, and someone in particular lived out this idea. That guy you heard about, you know, earlier, Philip with the funny question when he, the guy who asked Jesus to show him God, he lived out this idea too. He was so affected by it. In the book of Acts chapter 9, the Holy Spirit sends him 
to minister to guess who? Not a Jewish person, an Ethiopian eunuch. Racial outsider, national outsider, sexual outsider. He'd been turned away from entering the Jewish temple. And Philip climbs up into his chariot. One did not, you know, simply climb up into his chariot like that. He began to share with him the love of one Savior who came for all peoples. And the Ethiopian believed and carried the gospel to his own nation. Oh, but that idea, it didn't just stop in the first century. It kept on going. And history records that from 251 to 266 AD, a terrible, awful epidemic struck the Roman Empire. It became known as the Plague of Cyprian. At its height, 5,000 people a day died in Rome. The city was completely ill-prepared to deal with mass death. And to make matters worse, the Roman doctors fled The pagan priests fled. The city nobles left the city of Rome. But history shows that Christians were different because they had a different idea that caused them to live out a new story. Cyprian, who was the bishop of Carthage, he seemed to almost welcome the plague, knowing it was an opportunity for the church to give witness for the hope that they had, the new idea they carried around inside them. He was so overwhelmed by his sense of confidence that the Alexandrian church, church in Alexandria, was accused of thinking the plague was a time of festival. They were so happy to be able to serve and give to their neighbors. In Rome, the Christians buried not just their own, but the pagans who had died without proper burial funds. The Christians supplied uh, daily for 1,500 poor people over in Antioch, modern-day Syria. They fed 3,000 people a day during the plague. And back in Alexandria, whenever nearly everyone else fled, the Christians risked their lives by washing the sick, offering water, food, consoling the dying. Their care was so extensive that the emperor Julian eventually tried to copy and failed the church's welfare system. It failed, here's why, because for the Christians, it wasn't duty that motivated them. It was love. It wasn't duty, it was love. And Julian said to them, after trying and failing to copy what they had done, he he wrote this, I love it, don't you know? God gets the last word. He said, atheism, that's what they called Christianity, they couldn't, we didn't have a God they could see. Atheism, how about that? Has specially been advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there is not one single Jew who is a beggar, that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. The church took a new idea from Jesus and began to live out and made a new story. A new story. What if we did that? What if this new idea and new story, new kind of story, led us to number three, to take a new kind of action? What if we became known as a church, not just for our theology, which I hope is good, has to be good, all that, but more for our generosity? Hmm? Didn't Jesus just say, Matthew 5, that to be a child of God wasn't just to believe right, that's important, but to give right, love right? What if we could become known as a place increasingly where people didn't just respect our, we expected them to respect our beliefs, which they never will. Come on, man from the dead, right? Come on, Trinity, three in one, kind of strange, right? What if we became a place 
where people respected our actions. The people, where people, when they came, they said, they may say, maybe this is you today. I may not want to be one. I want my child to marry one, though. I may not want to be one, but I want to hire one. They show up early. They stay late. They love the person not like them. I think we can be. And let me give you just one way, one way in particular that we can do that today, because that's what today is actually all about. Today, what you have stumbled into is what we call here at Mosaic annually our Live Big Sunday. And you're getting nervous, and you should, because here's what this means. Let me ask you, here's my question. What if, I ask this every year, what if one time a year we could collectively pool our resources and give it away, give in a way that impacted an organization in our community in an unforgettable way. We lived out this idea of radical generosity. What if we gave to something outside the scope of our local church so generously it maybe even changed the course of that ministry or organization? What if we raised so much money for something else that we over time did better than the federal government? Some of you are saying, well, it's not hard to do. All right, well, anyway. We created jobs for people maybe who even work in nonprofits. What if we lived big for a day, right? Because when you live big, what do you do? You just, you just give it away. Wouldn't that be amazing? Your answer is, wouldn't that be fun? Yes. Wouldn't that feel good? Yes. Wouldn't that put hope in your heart? Yes. That God was changing the city. Wouldn't you feel like and know you were living large? You would. And so today, this morning, I want to do just that. Today, I want to raise, here's our goal, $35,000 in one day. $35,000 in one day for an organization called Nineveh Ministries. Nineveh Ministries is a local nonprofit that works with juvenile offenders in both Travis and Williamson County. Local juvenile centers don't have chaplains, so they move in to do Bible discussions with the people that are incarcerated there. And then when that offender is released, they provide material needs, they do job training, they, do, they provide jobs, they begin to break the cycle of reincarceration because to do that, finding meaningful employment is the single greatest way. They love and serve people from all backgrounds, faith backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, work hard doing it. Let me tell you, preventing reincarceration, here's why you ought to get excited, it saves taxpayers money. It prevents someone from becoming a statistic, and that young person gets their life back. And if this were your own son, your own daughter, you would want these people to work and serve them. So, though we can't do everything we want for organizations like this, we can give them a day that they won't forget and make a permanent difference, I believe, in the lives of those in crisis. And honestly, before we get to some of the numbers and stuff and all that, if there's one reason, I want you to hear me here, heart of a lead pastor, that I hope hope, and I'm glad God has grown our church. If there's one reason I hope we keep growing, it's because we would be able then to give more and more and more away. We would be able to show that Jesus is the light of the world, that his church makes the city better when it's there. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Here it is. Roughly on a Sunday, we average about 900 to 950 adults with kids. We're over 1,300. But, but today, and here's uh, about to show you the price just a second. Uh, you'll be glad to know that it has not increased. There's no inflation. This number, it's stayed constant with the economy year in, year out. If you, and listen, you can do this and be a part of this for only, what's their price today, Jamie? $39.95. For only $39.95. If each adult today gives 
at least this. We could raise $35,000 in one day. Five years ago, we began this. We asked for $10,000. We raised fifteen. Four years ago, we asked for fifteen. We raised eighteen. Three years ago, we asked for twenty. Received twenty-five. Two years ago, asked for twenty-five. Got thirty. Last year, we asked for thirty, and we closed just under forty thousand dollars. And we've raised more and more money every year, and blown people away because they don't know it's coming. We don't know what's coming. That totals almost $130,000 over the last five years. Now, you hear that number? Some of you, some of you may be able to give more, and that's great, and you should, like, add zeros to that number. Some of you can only, can only give less, and that's okay. There is no guilt here. If you could, I know you would. In the past, you have. In the future, you will. But what I am asking you to do, everybody today, is to play. Everybody gets in the game. I'm not asking you to go home and pray about it. <laughs> no, no prayer. I'm just asking you to consider giving at least $39.95 per adult towards this. Now, if you're here, but your spouse is not, go ahead and give for them. Matter of fact, if you're here... And your future spouse isn't here. You can even give for them as a seed of faith. He said, well, what would, what, what would, like Dave Ramsey, I know this buddy, like Dave Ramsey, it's okay every year. I call him on the way in. Dave Ramsey was fine with this. He's cool with this. So today you can give in a number of ways. First easiest way is text message right now. You, you, you type in 77977. We'll leave this on the screen. It's, you, you write give mosaic and thirty nine ninety five. Just round up to 40. Round up to $40 with live big in there. You text that amount right there. You can also open your app. You'll notice you came in today. Oh, it says live big. Tap on that. We'll also have people with card readers in the lobby today. And this can go super fast. You just got to give your name and amount of the person taking your card. There might be a short line. Your kids might be there. It's okay. The person in line behind you will watch your kids. They just will. They just will. I'm confident, right? You will. And finally, you can give cash or write a check. So that's what I'd like you to do today. Even if you're a guest, even if you're someone's friend, even if you're not a Christian, even if you're just in town, you're someone's parent or child, you're a third cousin from upstate New York, you're just swinging through from Arkansas or wherever. If you give, let me tell you, you're not giving to a church. You're giving through a church. For those of you who are suspicious and you think, you came in, you're like, I knew it. The church just wants my money. Today, your worst fears have come true. It's true, I do. I want all the money. I want all the money we can give together to make a collective impact on a part of the city that's underfunded. And next year, I want to do it again. In the year after that, we're going to do it again. And I want us to be known not just for our theology, which is important, we take seriously, but for our generosity. And I don't want to be known for just what we're against. Sometimes we got to be against stuff. I'd rather be known for what we're for. Then here's our promise. Here's our promise. Not one penny of this stays here. There's no administrative fee. There's no shipping and handling. Nope, none of that. No tax. This goes straight to them. You say, Morgan, but I already gave. It's okay. You can give again, right? You say, there are other needs out there. You're right, there are. You say, Morgan, I, like, I run a nonprofit, right? I would say, I run a nonprofit too. <laughs> and there's lots of stuff this money could go for. 
internally here, right? You say, well, I'll catch the next one. Well, you never know. There might not be a next one, right? I mean, right? We as Christians, we believe the Lord could return any moment, right? And second of all, this is the next one. For those of you who said you were going to catch the next one, right? This is the next one. This is your moment to be great, to live big. And we're going to do that today because when you live big, you just give it away. And when someone asks you, well, what do we do? What did you do in church today? You can say, I lived big, right? We all gave small and it added up to something really big. We're going to drop off a check this week to people who are totally surprised, get a video, come back next week and show you what happens. And think, think, think of all the good that the church of Jesus Christ can do and what the church of Jesus, not Mosaic, church of Jesus can be known for. A church that doesn't give expecting to get, doesn't just give to those who already love us, but to give expectant, to give, just give away. Now, I can't tell you I'm excited about this. It's gonna be great. Can't wait to come back next week, tell you what happened. So let's stand on our feet today. All right, here we go. We're not, there's no prayer team at the end. This is your one action. You're just gonna go forth and make it happen today. So I'm just gonna pray like the shortest prayer ever. And then we're gonna go live big, right? If you haven't already, you guys ready? Jesus, would you help us to do this and live big? Cause this to come in for the sake of others, for your new idea, for your great love. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.